If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Jonah chapter 1? If you have a Jonah booklet, then just grab that booklet and go all the way to uh, page 12, 12 and 13. That book's there for you to make notes in, maybe write in the text, some resources for you to look at. Hopefully you can use it in that way. This is our third message in our study through Jonah's book. Uh, None of the messages stand alone, so I want to encourage you, if you miss a message, grab it on the website. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that because... You know, this is, uh, unlike this summer, we're more a topical series. This is exposition. That means, boy, what Michael said two weeks ago, what Bill said last week, and what I'm saying today, it's all the same story. And so you got to keep it all in its context. When we start uh, interpreting and applying it, we want to make sure we're doing so in its proper context. Bill mentioned last week that one way to look at the story of Jonah is as a play. Um, It's... um, Anybody need a booklet, just raise your hand, by the way, and these guys are here to give them to you. So if you need one of these, just hold your hand up, and we'll get them to you. We've got plenty. would love for you to have it, and that's why they're, they're up here with these. Just keep your hand up. They'll get around to you. Um, look at it as a play, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4, four chapters. In each you know, act, there are certain scenes. And this way, you know, it's a narrative and we envision what happens. We see it. We enter the story. Uh, act 1, scene 1. Verses 1 through 3, Michael, two weeks ago, took us there. And we saw there that Jonah received a word from God, a call. Here's a word, go take it to Nineveh. Uh, Go, In other words, go northeast uh, to Nineveh. Uh, Jonah says, no, I'm going west. And he goes as far out the Mediterranean as he can go. Bottom line, you know, he's going as far away as he can from where God told him to go with God's word. And what was really neat that Michael did was he spent a good deal of time rooting the story in history, in real history, in archaeology, in, you know, that, that verified this story really happens, not a myth. These people really existed that we're reading about here. Uh, scene one, act two <coughs> was built last week going verses four through nine. And now rather we're on the sea, we're, we're on the sea in a storm. And uh, Bill showed us how these contrast between the sailors and Jonah and uh, these comparisons between the two shed light on the text. And in fact, as we went through it, he reminded us, who are we cheering for? Good guys or the bad guys? You you know, cheer for the bad guys. You know, what's what's up with that? Why are we cheering for the bad? Well, they're they're saying, you know, there's something going on. Um, Back in the early 90s, Lisa and I were in Dallas. I I was in seminary and... um, uh, we went to a uh, a comedy club, and you know we didn't know what we were going to really. We went with some friends, and and we ended up going to this comedy club. And there was a guy there, and he was doing a one man dialogue, and it went on to become the longest running solo play, if you will, in Broadway history. And uh, didn't know it at the time. You know, it kind of went on to become that. Well, he's in there, and it's. It may, some of you might have seen it because it's been here over the years. A guy named Rob uh, Becker and does this thing called Defending the Caveman. And, uh, you know, we go in this comedy club, and I've, I've got to say this. We laugh so hard. It's all about the differences between men and women. And, man, he went off for an hour and a half. It was profanity-laced. It was pretty raunch. It was graphic. It's like, I shouldn't be laughing. And you know, when, you're, when you start laughing at what you shouldn't be laughing at, you only laugh harder. Just a hundred people in there going crazy. I mean, you're, you're dying laughing. Well, the last five minutes 
you could have heard a pin drop because we're all exhausted. He's just worn us out. And then he just took the dagger and went, when he said some things about men and women, and and they were true. In other words, I'm saying he, he planted wisdom in us after all of that. If Bill said we're to, you know, cheer for the bad guys, I'm going to add this to it. I think if we will listen to the bad guys in our text, they have some wisdom for you and I. Related to life, related to God and the walk of faith. Let's do this one more time. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read the text, and actually I'm going to read the whole first chapter. And why would I read the whole first chapter? Well, number one, I mean, you guys, look, there's the whole book. I mean, you don't have to change the page in your Bible. You know, it's so short. And when we pick up these verses 10 through 17, we need to see that they're connected to the front part. It's all, you know, it's all one, you know, act that's happening. And so we'll follow it all the way through. Follow along in your Bibles with me. Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him, and he said, how how is it that, that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, God, let's let's cast lots and see that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He, he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Th- then the sea will become calm for you. For I know on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord. They said, we we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish 
on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. And then the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, how did you feel when the storm stopped? The key to the text is how they felt. What they feel. We'll see that as we walk through it. You can be seated. Thank you. We've given you these booklets because we want you to study. We're inviting you to study, Jonah, not just listen to us talk about it. And our hope would be that you'd come in here on a Sunday and I'd stand up here and say everything and you'd just sit, be sitting there going, knew that, knew that. Knew that. You know, you'd, you'd have already studied it and been through it. Uh, it's why we've got observation, interpretation, application. I'm going to go back through the text like a Bible study. I'm going to offer these observations. Observation simply means what does the text say? Well, what, do I, what do I see? I'm looking at it. What do I see? Who, what, when, where, why, how? You know, conjunctions, you know, verbs, nouns. Is something progressing? What's happening in the t- What do I see? That's what observation is. And then we're going to go to interpretation. What does it mean? And then I'll offer some application, which is when you finally get to and you go, well, if that's what it means, then, then what, what's God inviting me to do with it, trust with it? How's he inviting me to act? Observations. I'm going to go through each verse again, and I'm going to offer one or two observations. I want you to know last night I had three. Before I walked in here last night, I had five to seven observations in each verse. I'm not saying that because I'm smart. I'm just saying you can look at this and just observe it, and and you'll just keep seeing things. Uh, For time, I don't have time to do that, so I won't hit all of them. But let me offer these observations to you, maybe kind of get you thinking along this way when you read your Bible. We began in verse 10, then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So, you know, the first thing I note there is then, then they became extremely frightened. So what happened before that? Because it, obviously they were afraid, but then they became extremely frightened. And so you see, it makes me go back up. And you know, you've seen me do this. When I'm studying a passage, I encourage you to, to do this. You know, I print out the, the, here's all of chapter one. And by the time I'm done with chapter one, you know, you can't, I can't even see the text because I've just marked it up. I've circled this, that. I've drawn arrows. I've made notes to myself. I've observed the text. I'm just looking. What do I see? Well, I see they, I see they became extremely frightened. What happened? Well, verse nine. When uh, Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then they became extremely frightened. In other words, why they became extremely frightened? Because now they're going, we got a Hebrew on it. We, we got a God fear. We got someone who knows God and it's the God who made, is over heaven and earth and the dry, you know, and now they're going, oh my, we're in trouble. This guy's on the boat. No wonder the storm is. It's interesting to me, it says, and dry land. Do you, do you ever know, that was an, I just looked at it and said, why do you say dry land? Who's over the, 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 the heavens, the earth, the dry land, and the wetland. No, it, no, why dry land? Well, you know, I later looked up and I'm tracking back through what's the exact Hebrew words of the creation account. See, see, they're, they're saying what God said in Genesis 1. He created the, this is the God who made it all. The same 
words. Verses 11 and 12, so they said to him, what should we do with you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Now, I, I just read that. And for me, again, you know, I look at it and go, why so many pronouns? I'm just, do you, ever, do you notice that? Did you read that? And when you read it, you go, it's we, you, us, me, me, you, me, you. <laughs> I'm just seeing it. What it seems to indicate at some level they know, I don't know, we don't know how, they know that their destinies are intertwined. Whatever happens to you, it's going to have an effect on us. Well, you know, we need you to do this so this doesn't happen to us. You see, they're, they're intertwined in some way. They're aware of that. I notice as well, you know, you note it says in the bottom of uh, the back end of verse 11, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Isn't that a funny way to say it? Increasingly stormy. Now, we know the storm starts in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Here's my question. If the storm starts in verse 4, and it's severe enough to break the ship into pieces, what does it mean that it got worse? Right? You kind of go, yike. Well, 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 what is it? This is no obvious storm. I mean, it's already breaking the ship in half. How much worse can it get? Well, it got worse. Verse 13, however, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. I, I just crack up at that one. Is stormier a word? It is, obviously, but even stormier? Yes. You see, do you see that the, the progression of the storm? Again, this is where you kind of step back from the chapter and you, and you note storm getting worse, even stormier. You see that progression as it goes? Notice as well, there's a purpose clause in here for, here's the reason they can't get to land, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. How about this? We, you know, he could have just said it's getting stormier, but, but he had it's getting stormier against them. Uh, interesting. It's like the storm has eyes. Is that crazy? It's like, let's go this way. Get to land. No. Okay, let's go this way because we can go to that side. What is going on? It's getting stormier. In other words, there's some is there some purpose behind the storm? Because it's against us, whichever direction we go. Verse 14, then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Earnestly, I just noted that. Wow, they are there's some, at first they cried to their God and now, they're, now there's an earnestness to who they cry to. That's the next thing I noted is they say, oh Lord. How many times do they say it? Three times. You go, well, okay. That, what they're saying literally is Yahweh. Well, what's significant about that? Well, you see, that's the name God gave to his people to call him Yahweh. 
And so here, these pagan sailors, oh, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. I thought they were pagans. Well, something's happened in them that they cry now. They don't, notice they don't say, Jonah's God. Yahweh. Notice the purpose, again, a purpose clause for, and pray this prayer for, you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Again, if you don't mark in your Bibles, uh, that's okay, but do something to let you know that that is a real important phrase, that they just said something deeply profound, that they just stated a truth that is a thread that runs all the way through the play from act one to the very end. You, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. What do they do? Well, it's interesting. They see, notice this, they see what Jonah knows. Jonah knows this. They see it and say it. That this terrible predicament, and think about the songs we've sung this morning. Through the highs and through the lowers. Oh, they see that the predicament there, the storm that's about to destroy them is under God's control. Wow. Verses 15 and 16. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Just one thing I want you to note here. When, the, when it got silent, they feared the Lord greatly. Now, again, you got to read the whole chapter and be looking at the whole, but this is not the first time that fear has occurred, is it? In this, do you notice in the same way that it's storm increasingly, it gets the, the progression of the storm, the same, do you notice the same with fear? They, they were afraid the storm's going to break up. They became extremely frightened when they go, oh my gosh, there's a Hebrew on the boat running from God. No wonder we're in trouble. And then the storm subsides and it says they feared. Here's key. They were afraid of the boat breaking up and dying. That's enough to be afraid of. They were afraid we got a guy on the boat that's running from God. They were afraid of that. But now, what are they afraid of? Who are they afraid of? See, they're afraid of God now. Something has just happened in these guys. Last verse in this scene. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord appointed. You can hear us coming back to that over and over. It occurs four times in the book of Jonah. The word itself has kind of a numeric sense of exact. You know, it's been appointed. This is your... This has been made for you. God prepared it specifically. He appointed this fish. Notice he doesn't say whale, so let's get that out. It, it didn't say whale, it just says it's a fish. How long would a per in this in this kind of a storm, I mean, how long would a person live if he jumped in that water? I, I don't get as long as he could hold his breath, but boy, would it be hard to hold your breath when you're tossed to and fro in a sea that's breaking up? You know, I'm just going and yet. Bloop. Appointed. Later on, he appoints, of course, a, a plant, a worm, and an east wind. God is over all of creation. What does the phrase three days and three nights make you think of? What, 
what does it make you think? Three days, three nights. Jesus in the tomb. Absolutely. And it, it, it needs to make us think of that. It's pointing at, at that. I want you to know when Jesus gets the question in Luke 12, and they say, show us a sign. Right? They, they don't trust him. They say, you know, give us a miracle. Do something crazy. And he says, I'm not going to give you one except the sign of Jonah. Now, this verse actually belongs in the next chapter in the Hebrew. This, this verse 17, as it resolves in the first chapter, it's really the beginning of chapter 2, you see, because then he prays. So Michael's going to grab this next week, but I'm going to give you a, a hint to go here. When, when they say, give us a sign, and he says, I'm not giving you a sign except the sign of Jonah, please know he was not saying, you want to hear something crazy? Can I, you, want, you want to see a crazy miracle sign? You, how about Jonah? A man was swallowed by a fish and lived to tell about it. How about that? No, you know, that's not the, that's not the significance of the sign. Mm. The significance is way deeper, more profound than that a fish swallowed a man and he lived to tell about it. We'll hit that next week. Okay, you know, we could go over and over. Uh, I could go back through here, you and I could, and I could ask you, it'd be fun, actually, we could go, what do you see in verse 10? And you could throw stuff out. Like, like I gotta say this one, like when, when verse 10, I read it the first time and they said, how could you do this? You know, they're in the storm, they're dying. It's just funny to me that they say to him, how could you, how could you put us in this predicament? And what's funny to me is this, is it makes me think of the times when a non Christian says something to me that just puts me so in my place. And it's like, have you ever had this happen when someone says to you, wait, wait, you, you believe in God, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're, then why would you, <laughs> and you're going, well, I, I believe in it. You know, you don't, you have, there's nowhere to go. Isn't it funny? The pagans look at Jonah and go, you don't do this. Are you crazy? If you believe in God, you don't run from him because he's going to get you, you know, so to speak. It's funny to me, but it's sobering. Well, interpretation, we can observe. And I'm going to tell you this, if you do observation, if you just keep going, and, and for some of you, it's kind of, it may be boring. For me, it's, it's like the funnest part is just to keep looking at it going, what's there? Why this? What about this? What's going on? When you do the observations, when you come to this place, you say, okay, what does it mean? Can I tell you this? It falls off the bone. It's like, it's just Bloop, it's right there. You don't have to sit there and go, this is so complicated. This is so difficult. No, no you've observed the text. And let me, let me tell you what it means. There, there are no light bulbs that are going to go off in your head right now. None. Let me tell you what this, this verse means. It's actually the title to the message. So if you've got your message notes, it's on the top of your message notes. Here's what it means. Nothing, no one can thwart God's will. Okay, Lloyd, but what does it really mean? Um, it means God is in control of all things at all time in every way. That's what it means. Now, oh, there's something else going on. What, what does it really mean? <laughs> you go, well, it means God's in charge using all of his creation, animate and inanimate, to achieve his purposes for his own and for the lost. I don't know how else to say it. That's what it means. Can I tell you this? That's what it meant to the original reader. That's what it means today. When you and I are gone 500 years from now, that's what it'll still mean. We've got the interpretation. Now, 
You go to application, you know, and you go, oh, well, the implications of that for me are what God's inviting me to trust and act on as a result of, well, well, then we can go, I could, honestly, I could give you 50. You could come up with 100. As a group, we'd come up with more. But it, it's not what it means to me. See, I want to be careful. See, see, I didn't say, let me tell you, can I tell you what it means to me? It doesn't matter what it means to you, Lloyd. What does it mean? means nothing, no one can thwart God's will. If we stopped right there and I said, so what? If we stopped right there and I said, if that's true, so what? Then, and had you think about, what, what, how do I live that, whatever? That'd be enough. That would be enough. Let me offer you, if I can, though, a few uh, uh, principles or, or applications that can fall out of that, okay? And, and on this, this is where I want you to know um, there could be divergence. I mean, there could be so many. And, and when I'm preparing, you know, I'm just going, what hits me? And I'm just going to offer you, you know, Lord, I'm teaching this week. Here's what hits me. I, I'm going to offer this as some applications. Here's the first one. When we drift from God's word, we do irrational things. I, just go through the chat. When, when you drift from God's word, when you turn from God's word, you do irrational things. It, it's, it's silly, I know. But think about Jonah himself. God's word came to him. Jonah, here's... You know, literally, I've got a word. I want you to take it to Nineveh. Jonah said, uh, I'm going to leave that there. And I'm going to go. You see, see what happened? He turned from God's word. And then he does irrational things. And, and the most irrational, it seems to me, is that you try and get, get away from the God who made the sea in a boat. Isn't that weird? You know, but of course, Jonah knows, I, I believe it. He knows he can't get away from God's presence. Why is, I mean, Jonah, this doesn't make any sense. Why? Would, oh, when you turn, when you, when you. When you turn from God's word, you see it, you do things that don't make sense. How about the sailors? See, I would suggest that they've turned from God's word clearly because they're calling on little gods. So they don't, you know, they don't, they don't believe in the God of, at least in the beginning, they don't believe in, in the God of the Bible. And so they do crazy things when they get in a tight spot here. Notice that they, at least in the back end, it says they row toward the land. Now, again, silly in a way, but they are experienced sailors. They're in a storm that is about to break their boat in half. It says they literally dug their oars in. So this was not like just, this was like, get out, let's get out of here. Let's get back. And, and they're trying to get to land. But here's the thing. They, this doesn't make any sense because in a storm like that, you don't, you don't put the boat close to land. See, then it, then it gets all broken up on the big rocks. You know, you don't go that. You remember the the, uh, the scene in, in Forrest Gump? I, I looked at it this week because it made me think of this. But uh, Lieutenant Dan and Forrest are on the shrimp boat, and they're out there, and it's so funny because Lieutenant, you know, legless Lieutenant Dan says, "You know, what, so what about your God, Forrest? You know?" And, and 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 Forrest goes, "It's interesting that Lieutenant Dan asked about my God at that moment." And then Forrest looks up, and there's this giant hurricane hitting, and it just rips, you know, and tears up the whole coast it's like a Katrina-like hurricane. Of course, Lieutenant Dan's, you know, screaming at God through the whole storm. But what's, you know, where the story goes is they're the only shrimp boat that survived. So they went on and made millions of dollars because <laughs> all the boats that were in shore got beat to pieces. These guys are rowing to land and that's not where you want to go, guys. That doesn't make sense. Mm, yeah, because you do stupid. Can I say that? You do stupid stuff. You do irrational things when you take God's word and you turn from it. I, I don't even have to get specific here. You know and I know people, and I'll include myself in it, that do things and you're sitting there going, that does not, make, why is she doing, that does not make any, 
why would he, who already has this going, you see, you, you do irrational things when you turn from God's word. If the text is true, which it is, the most rational thing a human being would do is submit themselves to the God who made the earth and the dry land and the sea and every creature in it. That's very rational. It's irrational not to. Second thing, consider this. God puts us between a rock and a hard place because it's often the only place where faith will grow. You notice that? He puts them between a rock and a hard place. The phrase itself is despicable to us. We never like, whenever we say the phrase, I'm between a rock and a hard place, that's not like it's a good place. It's always a bad place to us. And yet God puts us there because it's often there where faith will grow. The sailors are between a rock and a hard place. You do see that it's like, if we throw him over, we've killed a man. That's what they say. If we thought, we don't want to do that. If we don't throw him over, we're all going to die. What do we, they are at the place of no solution. They have, by the way, tried everything in their own power to get out of this storm. And yet at that place where there's nowhere to go, where every solution looks blocked, a word of God comes. And the question is, will they trust it? Now, when I say a word of God comes, I want to suggest that Jonah is a prophet of God. And when he said, if you'll do this, you'll live, you know, they had an opportunity to believe that. Now, I got a, I got a feeling, you know, I think they didn't, they didn't want to throw him over. And isn't faith just like that? You get to this place and you know what? You don't see a way out. And then the way out or the thing God calls you to at some level maybe doesn't make sense, you know, or it's like, I, it, but it's his word to you. Will you hold it? Will you trust it? It's interesting, this phrase, for you, O Lord, have done as you please, occurs three other times in the Bible. So four times in the Bible, that phrase occurs. You might write these down, Psalm 115.3. Psalm 135.6, Isaiah 46.10. Psalm 115.3, Psalm 135.6, Isaiah 46.10. Now, and then here in our passage, every time that phrase occurs, there are two common themes. The first one is this, the futility of idols. You got to read them. It's really it's great. It's, they're all about, you, idols are nothing. So the futility of idols and then the rule of God. In all those passages. And I don't know where you are today. You may be in a place that's like, I don't know, I, I can't get out of this. It's, could it be God's inviting you today to say no to the idol and to submit to the rule of God? Just Is that God's word to you today? And can you trust it when you're between a rock and a hard place? Here's a third one. Let me give you this. Our fruitfulness for God. This one, this one struck me in particular, I think maybe in my role. Our fruitfulness for God is not always a reflection of our fellowship with God. These last ones are very sobering. I'll say it again. Our fruitfulness for God is not always a reflection of our fellowship with God. Would, that, that seems to come out of the text. I don't think I'm missing it here. Sinclair Ferguson says it way better. He says, quote, beware of mistaking usefulness to God for communion with God, end quote. See, is there any argument that God used Jonah profoundly in this story? There's no argument. There's no, God used him profoundly. 
Is there any question that Jonah was out of fellowship with God the whole time he was being used by God? No question. What's up with that? Mm, can I suggest this? God's in control and we're not. Uh, how about this? God does as he pleases. Nothing can thwart his purposes and his plans, even his disobedient prophet, preacher, dad, man, woman. I'll say, say it this way. We need, to be aware, we need to beware of interpreting our circumstances as indicators of God's favor or displeasure. This is so me. I mean, I tend to do this. You know, if things are going well, I feel like, oh, I'm right with God. You know, this is working out. We tend, to, we tend to view our circumstances as indicators of God's favor or displeasure. Don't do that. That's, that's not the way to live. It's not how he invites us to live. If you're going to measure your life by anything, I think biblically we can measure it by at least these two questions. Am I trusting what God has revealed? Am I doing what God has asked? This, this is not legalism at all. It's just going, God has revealed He's revealed himself. Am I trusting it? Am I, you know, and that, this is the big, this is the, am I trust? am I resting in what God has revealed? I know, am I trusting it to be true? And if I'm trusting it to be true and true and true for me, then what's God inviting me to trust him for? And boy, when you answer those two questions, you see, when you're living there, and please hear me on this, I'm, I can't live that. I can't live those two questions apart from Christ in me. So this is all about Christ, trusting Christ in you, the spirit in you. But when that, when I'm, Aware of those two questions, going, Lord, as best I can, I'm, I'm trusting you here, and I, I'm, I'm doing what you're inviting me to do. I'm walking with you. Then whatever happens, you see, you got to go here, because then whatever happens in your life, you're not going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this storm came on me. The storm came on the prophet of God and the pagan. You know, the storm comes on all, but I'm not looking at it going, what did I do? You see what I'm saying? You, you're living your life not by the circumstances around you, but by, by the word of God. Spirit of God in you by his work in your life. God's word defines my life, not the circumstances. Let me give you another one. God does not always keep us from our foolishness. This is very convicting to me. God does not always keep us from our foolishness. You see, when I read the story, I go through it and I go, Jonah was doing some really foolish stuff and God just let him keep doing it. You think about the trip down to uh, Joppa, that was a you know, that was a trip he had to make safely, and he made it safely. Ooh, I wonder, I wonder if he got to Joppa and said, thank you, Lord, for safe travel mercies. And then he had to pay a ticket. You know, I wonder if he pulled his money out to pay for the ticket and went, oh, Lord, thank you for your provision. You know, I wonder if he's thanking God along the way, and then it's like, Lord, I hope there's a spot on here. And there's a spot on the boat, and here's what I'm saying, a way that we often do. Oftentimes we say it this way, you know, I don't know what to tell you. All I can tell you is God opened the doors. Really? Really, Jonah? I don't, I, I, did you kick a few of those open? I don't know. Did God open those doors? You're running from him. And I just think we need to be careful. I'm not saying don't, you know, that God doesn't open doors and close doors, etc. But boy, you better be, we, 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 I need to be careful when I'm using that criteria, right? Uh, because open doors aren't always the ones God opens. You know, Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And, uh, you know, the new iPhone, the updated one, you know, has that thing where you just hit that button and, you know, you got that flashlight. But see, the word of God's not like this where, you know, it's boom, flashlights. Okay, your word's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path um, when I'm trusting it, when I'm resting it, uh, when, when I'm 
doing what he's inviting me to do. You see, it's a light to my path. Jonah, the word came, and Jonah said, uh, I'll leave that there, and I'll go out here. And so I'm just telling you, whatever was light in his path was not that, was it? And so we, I think, need to be careful that if we turn our backs on his word, uh, boy, be careful what you think is lighting up your path. Here's the last one. If you leave God's word on the shelf and are on the boat to Tarshish and the storm never hits, be very afraid. If you are going to turn your back and you're headed to Tarshish and the storm never hits, be extremely afraid. See, because God came after Jonah with the storm. God saved these lost sailors with the storm. I mean, he pursues us. What's interesting in the story is, you know, he can't escape God's presence. Can I say this? Because it's such a sober ending. Don't, don't forget this. He can't escape God's love either. Let's stand. I'll send you out with this thought to consider as the story ends. Don't miss this, even with these warnings. The sailors got saved. They were rescued, right? I mean, it says they made sacrifices. Do know this. They had to do that on dry land because there's nothing on the boat to sacrifice, right? It's all been thrown over. So so, so they made it. Why? Because God rescued them. How about Jonah? He's not dead yet, right? Just don't, don't miss this. Even in his rebellion, God reaches out and grabs him and appoints a fish to swallow him. He's not on dry land yet. Here's what we know because we know the story. God's going to get him there. This is the God. This is, as Michael said, the kind sovereign who's overall, but he's the kind sovereign who pursues us. How about this? Even when we say, uh, I'd rather not. Mm-mm. He's coming after you. And he always gets his man. God bless.